All right. Well, let's uh, let's let's uh, gavel this to order. Uh, Ola Tunji Yearwood, I really appreciate your time here today with me. Um, I've been corresponding with you and Alicia to uh, have you come in to talk to the Princeton students and hopefully to the NYU students at some point uh, if COVID yeah. clears up a little bit. Um, but I was looking around online at at you know as ever since we met, looking at some of your music, some of your performances. You you appeared on uh, the X Factor UK. Soka Monarch, like a bunch of stuff that I, I'm aware of, but I don't, I have had no personal experience with, like, I'm not a Calypsonian, clearly, I'm not, you know, uh, I don't, I did have never been on a, like, X Factor, I've never, like, I just have a lot of questions for you, but before we get into that, I'm, I'm curious if you could just take me back to, like, baby Olatunji, and, like, I know you grew up in Trinidad, but can you just tell me a little bit about your background, like what your what your upbringing was like, what your folks were like, what they did for a living? Like, can you just start back and tell me a little bit about about Baby Ola? Ah, Baby Ola, <laughs> from her. Baby Ola, born and raised in Trinidad Tobago, obviously, um, Port of Spain. Mm-hmm. That is the capital of Trinidad and Tobago, and in Montreal Hospital. I'm giving you the full bio here. Please, yeah. And, um, yeah, yeah. So, and baby Ola was always, uh, I was wild as a baby, wild and giving trouble. Um, lived my first years with my grandmother in Belmont, mm-hmm. um, as well. And then coming up to nine years old is when I moved in with my mom. So it was that type of vibe. And really, uh, well, Ola, do you mind? Do you mind really, and, and Ola, just as you're talking, I have you know there, I have a million questions that pop up, and I don't. If you, I hope if you don't mind me asking, why did you go live with your grandmother initially, and then not move on in with your mom till later? What was the circumstance? If you don't mind me asking. No, uh, it's a conversation we have here. Well, um, I guess mom, mom and dad was trying to find their way. You know, growing up very young as well too, and they were trying to find their way financially. And in that mental space to mm-hmm. take care of me, I guess. And that would have been the um, the response mm-hmm. to have me by grandmother, mm-hmm. Granny. So that was the vibes. And, and Granny always set a steady foundation with the religious vibes. She was more religious. Mm-hmm. And that kind of energy. What you denomination know? was your grandmother? Sorry? What denomination of religion was your grandmother? My, my wife is a Lutheran pastor. Seven, so I, I have... Seven days Adventist. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my mom, they were all into the acting and theater. Mm. My Runali, she was into theater. And then daddy was also into, he was a radio personality and that stuff. He used to host Calypso shows and he was a, I would say a pan encyclopedia. He used to have the knowledge of pan and his program called The Magic of Pan in, in, in Trinidad and Tobago. Mm-hmm. So that influence with my mother and my father is what brought me into the whole Calypso Olatunji, molding of Olatunji as a Calypsonian, you know, loving the Calypso, like really loving the real art of Calypso and theater. So I mixed the two because of my beautiful parents. They are deceased now, but you know what I'm saying? I know they are, they're still here in spirit for sure, you know? And um, so with, with, with my parents' influence, this is the reason why Olatunji is into Calypso and theater and performing. Well, what kind of theater, uh, I mean, when you say theater in Trinidad, I'm trying to, again, like I have zero experience with it. Can you give me like, uh, what kind of time period, when was it that your mom and dad, especially your dad was, was really involved with theater and, and that sort of stuff? Huh? Good good question. I don't want to give you the wrong thing. I don't want to say the wrong thing because my time, my my collection of time, terrible. I'm terrible but, with um, it too, Ola. Just I that's I love to like try to play. Is it like the are we talking uh, like the fifties and sixties in Trinidad? See that? No, 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 no. That's 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 way back. Bro. That's too long. That's too long. Like that. No, that's too. That's too much. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about. Um, don't take me for this. Well, right from eighties, nineties coming up there. And what kind of theater was it? Like, was it political theater? Was it comedy? Like, what did, what kind of stuff were they doing? Comedy. She used to do mostly comedy theater. And okay. My mom used to do comedy theater. And then she to teach in, in, in a prominent school in Trinidad and Tobago. Holy Name Convent is a, is a very good school for girls. Catholic school. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, yeah, yeah, and for 20 years. So she taught history and drama. So that was her thing. 
Can you tell me a little bit, I mean, what I, what little I know in terms of, you know, the, the origins of Calypso music and, um, you know, the word Calypso, like the goddess Calypso yeah, literally yeah. was like the goddess of innuendo and like not, not saying exactly yeah. what it is you were wanting to say, but hiding it, couching it in different words. And that often yeah, yeah, has yeah. manifested itself in like political commentary. Like a lot of those early Calypsos were about yeah, yeah, union, yeah. union strikes and um, oppression and government and, you know. Can yeah. you talk, can you just explain talk to me like I'm two and give me a little bit of a like am, am I am I close to describing Well I think you're very close and, and my 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 take on calypso right my take on calypso calypso is a it's a it's a recording it's a musical recording of history and trending topics and also trending topics whether it be political socially mm. and all these things truly musical through the rhythm of the Caribbean, mm-hmm. right? That makes sense to you? Yes, totally. Sorry, I'm writing stuff down as you talk. I'm not ignoring you. I just have, right. a, I'm taking notes. Yeah. So that is Calypso for me. Calypso, you can speak on topics of the history, uh, on topics to now, and, and political, socially, you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and, and a Calypso, that's what Calypso is. A, a Calypsonian is a storyteller. He tells the story, you know what I mean? He's like the poor people's voice. A real Calypsonian. That's what Calypso is. You know, do you, who are who were some of the early Calypsonians for you that were that imprinted on you as as a young musician of like, oh my God, you can do that, like that, like who were some uh, of your early influences? Well, definitely early influences the parents, you know, parents, mm-hmm. and then my dad. My dad was so entwined, and so he had the names of all the Calypsonians and these things, and he has this son, son, you must listen to this one, that one. So. I, I know Calypsonians from in the 40s and things like, spoiler, I can tell you about Calypsonians like Lord Executor, um, Beginner, who sang, Louis, I hope it's not in vain. Please come back again, darling. Yes, huh? Hope is not in vain. Please come back again. So that's that 1940s we're talking about. That is Louise, a song called Louise from Lord Beginner. Mm-hmm. And um, so he used to tell me about these Calypsonians and I fall in love with this story. They tell stories. Calypsonians always tell stories. It's not just one theme, not one topic at all. Mm-hmm. You know, they tell, they tell all different type of stories. I love story. They, they will talk about political stuff, social stuff, and in a very funny way, but underneath have a kind of sharp blade. So Calypso is a beautiful thing. Well, and I had like Calypsonians like um, Kitchener. Um, Sparrow, Lord Melody, who wrote plenty of songs for um, um, Harry Bolaponte. Mm-hmm. Lord Melody had plenty of songs like Mama Luka Bubude, and, and, and he was the original singer. Mm-hmm. And you know, Harry Bolaponte fell in love with Lord Melody, you know, and sang like about five songs from Lord Melody. So, well, you have like Roaring Lion, like Roaring Lion, All Women Are Beautiful, like that song then gets like uh, every woman, uh, every, uh, if you want to be happy for the rest of your life, never make a pretty woman. Mm-hmm. Like that's, yeah, yeah. That's Roaring Lion, you I know, know like it's just, it was adapted and, um, yeah. and like I grew up like some of the earlier Clipsonians I heard were like Mighty Terror. Um, I remember, Mighty terrible. I remember transcribing a lot of his early Calypsos and playing them at like, yeah. just because there, I didn't have a lot of tunes to play when I would go play gigs in Ohio. You know I mean? Like I said, I, I was, I grew up in a cornfield. So like there wasn't a lot mm. of like great Calypso just available around me. So I was like transcribing Mighty yeah. Terror and Roaring Lion and Lord yeah. Invader and mm. yeah. You know, and then, uh, you mentioned Lord Malady. That was the first time, yeah. like, can you talk a little bit about the, the roast culture. I know like now it's called like roast battling. Of course, like, thing I want to say, right? I want to tell you this first. Yo, I want to tell you, I am so thankful for this opportunity because Josh, I really find you as a rock star, bro. Honestly, I really find you are, you are truly amazing, my brother, because here you are, as I said, you're coming from Ohio, my brother. And I don't really know Ohio like that, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you are coming from Ohio and your podcast, your energy, your whole vibe is not just so percussions. You carry Trinidad and Tobago legacy and culture. I mean, it's crazy. And you, you went and you, you studied with phase two. Mm-hmm. You went to Trinidad and Tobago. Um, I find this is amazing, truly amazing. And you're going to teach this stuff in Princeton. And, and ah, this is truly amazing, bro. Well, you know what I mean? And I want to say thank you for having me here. 
Well, you're quite Listen welcome. You're quite welcome, Ola. And also, just I appreciate you all, you and Alicia, reaching out to me. I mean, a lot of you know, I feel like I know, I know enough about the scene in general to be dangerous. But I'm aware every day yeah, yeah. as I go on that, like, there's just yeah. a, there's a million people I don't know about because I just don't know about them. And I appreciated right. that that Alicia reached out to me, and and, and I'm really grateful for this. I mean, can, uh, my question about the. Um, you know, now I think the term would be called like roast hmm. battle, where like two two rappers would get together and just yeah, yeah, roast yeah. the shit out of each other, right? <laughs> you know, yeah, like you're yeah, fat, yeah, you're ugly, yeah. your clothes suck. You know, like this is this shit. I yeah. I remember listening to uh, it was a, a folk Smithsonian Folkways recording with Emery Cook of Lord Melody and Mighty Mighty Sparrow. Oh, a pecan. A pecan. A pecan. Can you just tell me a little bit about like? Why does that particular strain of like uh, art exist within Calypso? Like, why why roast each other? I'm I'm curious a little bit about like what is that part of the culture um, in terms of Calypso? How does that what's what's the meaning of that in there? Is 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 the same is the same thing that the hip hop culture would have would have used as well and and dancehall that I battled a new type of thing like I I battled a new when it comes to when it comes to lyrical and melody and queen melodies together and that kind of vibe. And if they check it out because Calypsonians used to name themselves Lord Executor. I mean, come on. I, I a guy who used to call himself the Mighty Te- Tiger. As you say, the Mighty Terror. It, uh, um, Black Stalin, who calls themselves that. So, you know, the, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Calypsonians used to call themselves some mean stuff. The Roaring Lion. Imagine you. Now coming on stage, the Roaring Lion. You don't get real scared. You want to be really, really scared about that for real. But until I'm you finished. hear him, until you hear him sing, and you realize he's a really nice guy, and like doesn't he's a really nice guy. Yeah, he's a really nice guy. Yeah, but he's still singing something that is very, very potent and is yeah. very. You need to hear it now. It's what's affecting the world now, and you need to hear it now. Mm. Um, I so they will come in that kind of vibe, but in a funny way, you know. But um, I will say this because. That started in Calypso tense, like when back in the day of, of um, Pretender and Executor and Houdini and these kind of fellas there, Roaring Lion and all, after Calypso show, what they would do is extemporaneously. So after the show is over and they have the competition, the tent, mm-hmm. a Calypso competition in a tent style, not a competition, sorry, where they come and they showcase the songs. Mm-hmm. And um, after the show is over, they will extemporaneously, which means they will battle each other. Right? Mm-hmm. And they call it that extemporaneously. It's an extempo battle. And uh, extempo is like the equivalent to, as you say, a, a roast, a roast with words. And, and, and that, that started, we have recordings of that in the 1930s, 1940s with Lord Executor, mm-hmm. guys like them, Rowan Lyon. Well, the reason I asked the question, yeah. Ola, is because, like, uh, I identify, like, when I heard the Pekong duel with Mighty Sparrow and, and, and Lord Melody, and Sparrow was yeah. calling Melody ugly, like, it, you know, he was known as not yeah. being an attractive man, and that's like the boo-boo man, and like, yeah. all, all that stuff, you know, like, <laughs> and I saw that, and I sort of lit up, and I was like, yes, like, because when I was yeah. growing up, there was some, there was a weird sort of thing, at least in, in rural Ohio, where I grew up, where, like, if you couldn't take someone making fun of you, like mm-hmm. then it meant that you weren't actually going to be there whenever they needed you. Like if you can't take a mm. little bit of a like, Hey man, your hat is stupid, yeah. you know, yeah. like, or you're, yeah. you know, yeah, that sort of thing. Then it meant that you weren't, yeah. we needed each other. And so it was a little bit of a test. Yeah. And, and so am I misidentifying mm. the sort of reasons why that's happening in other cultures or like what, I guess what's the point is my question. Is it, is it a, is it a camaraderie thing? Is it a, like just to see how good you are at it? Like what's the, What's the reasoning behind it? Or I, I, huh, that's a very good question. The reason behind it is to test out who is really better, number one. And as you say, if it could take talk, and that's a, that's a normal thing, if it could take Pekong, if it could take Pekong, I mean, it, you're, good, you're good with us. You can, mm. you can chill with us, you know what I mean? You're not too sensitive as well, but, no, but it is also a I'm better than you type of thing when it comes to putting words together. Mm-hmm. And melody and that kind of vibe, you know. Yeah. Well, I have a uh, sorry to turn. I might. I have a sort 
sort of question about the X Factor, uh, your experience on X Factor, and just in general, like yeah. as a Clipsonian who is an ambassador for what it is you, I mean, uh, you walked on stage and you said, I'm from Trinidad and Tobago, you know, and everybody goes bonkers. Yeah. Um, yeah. How have you felt in terms of like bringing, bringing something that is so normal to you? and your family mm-hmm. where you grew up like Calypso music is like you wake up you hear and cars driving by it it's like it's part of yeah. your dna right literally when you go to a place like the uk or on a mm-hmm. game show where there's a lot of trinidadians you know caribbean folk in london it's not like it's you're alone there but like yeah. how, how did you feel being an ambassador for something on a stage where basically no one knew what you were doing <laughs> you know what was that experience like uh, for you oh uh, definitely it was a wild one you know it was a it was an amazing experience. Um, yes, I was nervous. I mean, going going a show like that, you know, so much people watching. You don't want to let people down. That type of vibe, and it was a it was a learning experience to see how they do they do their thing over there. Mm-hmm. Very professional, um, very professional with the staging, mm-hmm. um, the background scenes. You know, background scenes to get the show. Out there is where is is who the real superstars are, you know, and and I enjoyed that experience. It what, was amazing. What's something about that show that maybe like a watcher like myself, like when I'm watching the clips that make it onto YouTube or or TV, like yeah. what's the thing that nobody knows is happening? Like, what's the biggest thing for you when you were there? You were like, oh, my God, this is what <laughs> this is how the sausage is made. You know, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I had an idea how TV go, but like that, though, damn, it's like hours, hours of doing the same thing over and over just to get that one kick. It just doing this thing over and over to get this one kick for the TV. You know, and there's a lot of waiting and, and doing over, and mm-hmm. waiting and doing over and doing over. Wait, so and the performance? And doing over. So, like the performance that we see online, yeah, is not one. Is it one continuous performance, or is that like four or five different ones pieced together? Four, yeah, four or five different ones, different time, time zone. But you have but to wear yeah. the same. But you have to wear one the same outfit. You have to wear the same outfit every time. Yeah, for continuation. Okay. I, see, I'm glad I asked the question because that yeah. I just assume everything I see is one continuous live take. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> Not right. even in the last. <laughs> now I'm gonna go back and look for like weird movie mistakes and see like if you had a ring yeah. on the wrong finger or something for one of the takes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow, that's re- okay. Well, let me ask you. Um, mm. what is some of the mm. Like having seen, you know, you grew up, we, we talked about early Clipsonians. Um, yeah. You know, you mentioned people like Lord Kitchener, who I wouldn't, yeah. I personally wouldn't say was an early Clipsonian. He was sort of like a, a second generation of Clipsonians that came after. And like he, he, he moved the ball forward in a different way than maybe other yeah. Clipsonians prior to him. What do you see your yeah. role as in Calypso right now? Like how do you, where do you feel like the ball needs to be moved forward? That where it hasn't been. Well, no, there's no value judgment on like kitchen didn't do this, but like where do, what do you see as the need here? I, I, I would I wouldn't correct you, but I would say definitely kind of um, Kitchener. Mm-hmm. He either come out like in the 1940s, but really got prominence in the 60s kind of vibe. Yeah, you can see uh, with he and Pretender being in the same tent and so on and that kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. But um, and then. Calypso music itself that we would have loved or you would have loved just the old school guys so that we, what we love coming from these guys because they know the names they call these names you know mm-hmm. like you know Lord Invader you know you know the names and um, you don't really hear them so much on the, in the Trinidad radios as much again mm-hmm. so I would I would want to fix that immediately mm-hmm. ASAP because you know because Calypso is what it is. So is where the real story is, is where you're going to really tell the story. I mean, I love my soca music because what soca really is, is the, is the, is the son or the child of Calypso, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So soca is soca. Soca is going to be soca. It's the soul, which is the beauty and the love of the people. So soca will be soca, but I want to see Calypso reign where Calypso is supposed to reign again, which is on the airways of Trinidad and Tobago. And in the world again, 
And for what? That's um, what I want for Cullips. Sorry, say that one more time. That's what I want for Cullips. Well, how do you? I don't personally know how to do that. So how do you do that? Huh. <laughs> Sorry. Well, the best the best thing I can do is research research like what I'm doing right now. I'm doing a lot of research with my with Calypso music and the Calypsonians, and I know a lot about the Calypsonians' names. So I go back with the names and I find out the songs and why they sing the song there and and how and the rhythm and all these things. I just do now research and and recycle and and bring it back. And you know what I mean? Hmm. I mean, one of the things that. that- You've you've mentioned the word history a lot with Calypso, and I've been really fortunate to talk to um, Kim Johnson uh, a fair amount. And do you know Kim? Kim's a Trinidadian. He he has a um, he's a, a historian. Wrote a book called The Illustrated Story of Pan. Um, hmm. I and he's a second. I said you can teach me so much. I am not. I, please, I I don't want to teach you, you about. Amazing. Somebody from Trinidad, but if I, if I can avoid it, but like, um, you know, he, he's amazing. I did a podcast with him. I think you'd enjoy it. Um, but he's, we talked a lot about history in terms of like one of the, the foundational ways that, that history and story has gotten passed down in Trinidad is through Calypso is through song. From Calypso. This yeah. comes from yeah. obvious, you know, this is, uh, the same, like from the slave trade. This is the way, you know, slaves were passing on different informations. They would communicate through song. Information. Yeah, um, on the fields. Yeah. Yes, totally. And but one of the things I'm seeing, I'm noticing is a little like, or one of the things I, I worry about, I guess. And this is where I feel like mm. I want to have you talk me off the ledge a little bit. Um, is mm-hmm. I see books like Kim Johnson's, and I'm like, oh my god, thank you. There's there's a documentation of all yeah. this stuff so that I can hand it to someone else and they can look through it, and then I can hand it to somebody yeah. else and they can look through it and basically get the same information oh. over and over and over again and have it reinforced. Mm. If yeah. 99% of Calypso music in the history of Trinidad and Tobago is buried in all of these lyrics that are in the heads of Calypsonians and maybe not on the radio like you're talking about as often as it should, how do we preserve the history of what it is you all do? Well, I, I, I see it in the steel people band. Like yourself, well, people like yourself... Okay. No, sorry, what is it? No, no, no. I was just going to say, like, it, you know, I, I watch for every year with Panorama, for example, and this is not... Calypso music per se, but steel drum arrangements that get arranged around soca tunes or Calypso music, right? Right. There's 40 tunes every year that get arranged for various large bands, conventional bands, pan around the neck that just disappear. The arrangements are made and then no one, there's no catalog of them. There's no, I can't go buy the music afterwards, you know? And that scares the shit out of me, Ola. Because I mm-hmm. see, I see like all of this history just sort of like flying <laughs> up into the ether. Now I could, I could yeah. be okay with that just as a human and say that's what, that's the nature of things. But that worries the snot out of me. And so, how do we, yeah. how do we, or should we? I guess is my question. It, it, it is a, a tough question you're asking because I guess that's been um, not just Caribbean history; it's been more on the oral side and not recorded and written down. And so the best way for me, I realized, is knowing the Calypsonian names and, and, and because the Calypsonians tell the story during the whole, this period. Mm-hmm. Calypsonians always going to, I was always going to speak about what's happening now, whether you like it or not. And so I try my best to just remember the Calypsonians and I do my research and my writing downs. Because I know that's been a problem, not just Trinidadian history, mm-hmm. African, Caribbean, not writing down and recording our history is just oral. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, that's, I mean, that's a problem. It's, yeah, it's a problem. And it's one that, that I, you know, yeah, when I talk with Kim Johnson, it's like I feel like you and Kim should get together and write a book about every Clipsonian that's ever existed in Trinidad, like every Clipsonian mm. chapter. And there's like, there's a bunch of file footage, like, like photographs of them when they were young, when they were old, here's different versions of their songs. Here's the progression of roaring lions, like thought processes yeah. around why he would stood up for women when yeah. a lot of Clipsonians yeah. were not, or, or I wouldn't say we're not, but we're more aggressive sexually with their lyrics, you know, like what, yeah. what why was Lord and why was roaring lion, why did he take the stance he did? Why did Mighty Sparrow take the stance he did? Why was uh, Lord Executor talking about union strikes? Like, like 
I think it's yeah. like it's interesting to know about Uriah Butler and hear his name come up in a you know a Mighty Terror tune or something. But yeah. who, the, who the fuck is Uriah Butler? Why was he important? Yeah. What like what was happening in true? Who's Doctor Eric Williams? Like how mm-hmm. do they relate to all of this? Like that to me is like the um, I don't know that that to me is the real sort of like interesting context behind why everything is happening. You know, and why it's important to have right, it known right. as. Recorded, yeah. Right, I think you, you can look at, there's union issues going on here in the United States, and I think if you, some young mm-hmm. kid right now, if a young Josh Quillen in high school could pick up a book and be like, wait a minute, there were union disputes in Trinidad too? Yeah. Whoa. All right, I'm in Ohio, wow. and I have something I can I can relate to historically to different places that I, I've maybe never understood or been to, you know? And so, anyway... Yeah. I, this stuff is really fascinating to me and I've always been into it, but I've always had a hard time. Like if I wanted to know about the history of Calypso music, where would I go? Hmm. Like, where would you recommend it? You know, like that's, that's my, like if, if you were to get a C18, I, 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 I will say it again. You have to, you'll have to know the Calypsonians, those old school Calypsonians and the Calypsonians, because mm-hmm. the Calypsonians is going to tell the story and the history of, of the country as well and in the, of the world. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because Calypsonians used to deal with worldly, worldly topics. You know what I mean? With World War II. Because the Roman Coca-Cola song, when the man sing, When the Yankees first came to Trinidad, all of the youngers were going mad. They say that the Yankees treat them nice. And they get a better price drinking Roman Coca-Cola. Go down point to both mother and daughter working for the Yankee dollar. You know, he's singing about a lot of things going on there. And the people hearing rum and Coca-Cola, but it's prostitution he's singing about there. Mm-hmm. And he's singing about when the American soldiers came down because Trinidad and Tobago had the biggest American base mm-hmm. in, in, in that time in World War II. So that's all that history going on right there. Mm-hmm. We have American soldiers to come and, you know, interact with him. It is what it is. And, and, and that's why these guys sing these kind of songs. So all that is history in one. So you have to know your Calypsonians. And that was Lord Invader who sang that song. And he would have tell you the whole issue was going on. When the Yankees first came to Trinidad, yes, and all of the young girls were going mad. They said that the Yankees treat them nice because they get a better price drinking rum and Coca-Cola. Yes, and, but there's some serious shit he talking about. Yeah, well, and that uh, was it Gene and, and, and Dinah? Gene and Dinah. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, exactly. and Dinah. Rosita and Clementina. All crossed. Yeah, bet your life is something they're selling. And if you catch them broken, you can get them all for nothing. Don't make a row. The Yankees gone and Sparrow take over tongue. That what he's saying. The soldiers left. It was time for the soldiers to leave now. They already won the war against Hitler. Right? And Sparrow saying, no, is he running the tongue now? The soldiers gone, I running the tongue now. So it's a lot of history with yeah. these Calypsonians and, and these songs they sang one time. You know, it's amazing. And we, had, we have to keep that or else we could lose we could lost everything. I think, yeah, and I, you know, the, just, Ola, I should have just turned the camera on and just let you sing for an hour because that's, that's, <laughs> that's the best, it's the best. I mean, the, the more I, I read a book called Bury the Chains by Adam Hochschild. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's about mm. the it's about the ending of the the British slave trade, not slavery, but the actual the just shipping. What's, what's the book again, Josh? It's called Bury. I need to write down because I said, bro, you are you are something. It's called Bury Bury the Chains. Bury the Chains. Bury the Chains. Yes, Bury the Chains, and it's Continue. about it's about um, a, a group of about twelve people, one of whom was a former slave ship owner, John Newton, the guy that wrote the the melody to or uh, to or the the lyrics to Amazing Grace. Um, okay, you know he's a former slave ship owner who had a sort of come to Jesus moment later in his life and wanted yeah. to end the slave trade. You know, yeah. anyway, but the point is, is like it, like the Caribbean slave trade in particular, the yeah. way that. Or just, you know, colonization in general, all the way back to Sir Walter Raleigh, you know, like hmm. that Sir Walter Raleigh, Christopher Columbus, like, like for all of the stuff that they did, 
Yeah. Steel drum, Calypso music, all of this stuff is here because of yeah. a million data points, a million things that happened, including Columbus, including yeah. World War II, including British oppression, um, including oh. the banning of instruments uh, during Carnival, mm. including the banning of, of d- dancing, you know, like pu- yeah. public gatherings, like all of this stuff. World War mm. II hits, Trinidad has a big naval base, also a lot of oil. Yeah. Yeah. What if Trinidad just had not had oil? What if what you had instead was tin? You know, like we would have, mm-hmm, yeah. would have done you, something with it. Some, yeah, go. Sorry, go ahead. No, you, you go ahead. You go ahead. You go ahead. You go ahead. No, I'm just saying, like it, to, to me, like Lord Invader, uh, Lord Kitchener, Bugsy Sharp. None of them. Hmm. None of them are who they are unless you know exactly what happened to the Carib Indians in Trinidad before they got there. Like, like yeah. this is all connected. Yep. And I think having this con- like somebody and maybe it's Kim, maybe it's somebody like I just there needs to be a whole library filled with just like conversations with people like yourself and, and Kim just so that this stuff can get in there, because I feel like there's a lot of students in the U.S. And that's why it's important for me to have you come in and talk. Um, yeah. That stuff is just it goes right over. I think I think most people don't even when I say, hey, what's happening in Trinidad in 1940? Most people don't eat like mm-hmm. World War Two isn't the thing that comes to mind. Yeah. Like Imagine the world that. is in a war. Like the, you should, that should be, yeah. you know, that, that should be number one, right? Yeah. Yeah, first, right. right. Uh, did I say something that, offended, out. did I say something that offended no. you? <laughs> no, something went to technical difficulty. It's okay. My brother. It's okay. Was, um, no, this was, this is the kind of conversation I love. History and the, this is why I like. Well, wh- let me ask you then. I mean, I've told you everything I'm worried about. Or is there anything mm-hmm. in the back of your mind that you're worried about that? Like, like if you could go into every elementary school in Trinidad every day for a month and just be like, here's one thing to remember and then leave. Like you just poke your head in the room, say something and leave. Yeah. What are the, what's yeah. the thing that you, you worry about the younger generation in Trinidad and Tobago or just in general, the younger um, generation of kids in Ohio, yeah. like me, you know, growing yeah. up, what's the one thing you would poke your head in every day and say? I I, I would definitely stand for the Calypso. Calypso. For real, because what college will stand for? I mean, it's the only genre. I mean, even in like blues and all, as I heard David Rodder said one time, in, with blues, you're going to say, I'm sad. And that's where it is, I'm sad. In, in, in hip hop, is one thing. You know, you talk about yourself, you blend, and you can be number one. R&B is about love song, love songs, and this and that. Mm-hmm. I think Calypso have a kind of vibe you can sing about anything. And Calypso is, the, is, a, is a storytelling thing. It can speak about anything, political, social, love. And with that tool and that instrument you have, I think is a glorious thing. It's a, it's a better conversation we could have with people and, and with better conversations, is better communities, is all these beautiful stuff. So I would push that Calypso. Um, I mean, as you're saying it, it feels to me like one of the things that's maybe unique to Calypso is like, when you say you can sing about anything, like a young yeah. eight-year-old kid in you know kindergarten or first, for, I don't know what the system is in Trinidad, first grade, um, mm-hmm. like it being a vehicle of self-expression. Yeah, like that's like, definitely yes, yes, storyteller. Yeah. Um, tell stories. All right, so you you poke your head in the first week, and that's what you say. But I've told you you have mm-hmm. to do it for a month. What do you say? Yeah. What do you say the second week? Well, you poke your head in after the first week, and they're like, "All right, bro, we got Ola, Mr. Ola, we got it. We know Calypso." Mm-hmm. Second week, what yeah. do you say to them? I'm gonna, I'm gonna sing, I'm gonna sing the songs that that means that will will uh, they would understand why that Calypso is so important. I will sing them Calypso songs that I know about, and they was not just singing about the self or love song. They were singing about a war was going on, World War Two was going on, but in a very in a very great, amazing way. Double entendre type of vibe. You're thinking it's Roman Coca-Cola, but he's talking about war. He's talking about prostitution. I will sing these songs for them. In the third week? And the third week, I remind them again. <laughs> In the fourth week, you make them sing with you. In the fourth week. <laughs> <laughs> I think we got a course curriculum here. Although I think this is this is going to be great. Um, uh, yeah, you know, in the spirit of my my podcast is called Concert Honesty, and um, the reason I started it was because I was having a lot of moments on stage as a performer 
where I was, right. where students would look at me and be like, you're, that's amazing. I loved it. And inside my head, I'm like, do you have any idea how many notes I just missed? Like, like, you know, I, I practiced, I practiced and something went wrong. Like you have no idea. Um, and so I'm kind of curious, like for a lot of myself included, when I look at you perform, I don't get the sense that anything is ever going wrong, you know, um, except for maybe when you're like, when you were doing the, when you were doing the Bruno Mars thing on X Factor, maybe your hat, maybe you were hoping to yeah, take yeah. your hat and that, you know, it was the, um, mumbo jumbo number five, mumbo yes. jumbo number five. Mumble bumbles. Mama no, yeah. But like, okay, so maybe your hat didn't go where you wanted it to, but like, can you tell me a little, can you just share a story of a moment where like you're on stage and you feel like you're about to kill it and you don't, but you have to figure out how to like navigate it. Like, are you willing to share a story uh, of, of failure on that? Uh, uh, I guess that one time too in the X Factor, as I mentioned just now, you know, I was going to kill it because I thought I could have performed this song, you know, and smash it and kill it. Until shit, but no, that didn't work. <laughs> that shit did not work. Um, what, a, what a time, boy. When I was defending, because in China we have Soka Monarch, which is a, is a competition between mm-hmm. artists where we sing our Soka, show, our Soka songs uh, in, in a show, and the winner is called the Soka Monarch, right? So when I was defending my title the, the following year, um, yo, I popped down. Things didn't really happen the way it's supposed to happen, you know. But I had to do my thing because it was a competition and you still want to be judged. So I still had to do my thing. <laughs> well, what, what went wrong? Um, the presentation, um, fireworks then. I mean, I was going on a, on a different type of show this round and I was going for the more big, um, that kind of bullshit instead of performance. So mm. I was going for all that bullshit with the fireworks and the confetti and and that didn't work in the, in the right time. It was too technical in a, in a short in a short space of time to do to pull off. And what did you um like? What was your takeaway from that? Did you adjust any performances moving forward? Like, how did you? What did you learn from that moment? What I learned, good question again, Tadao. Um, what I learned is that you know I just have to be me on stage because I'm a natural performer, and this makes sense. So we keep cutting off, bro. It's okay. We keep cutting off, bro. It's all right. That's all right. Um, sorry, you were telling me what you learned from your mistake there. Well, my thing is, because I'm a performer, I'm a natural performer. I like to perform and dance and sing. I realize I don't need too much of mm. all these bedazzlements and all these, this, these madness. It's a natural performance and, and do my thing. Dress well. I'm the first prop. I remember I am the first prop before anything. Mm. And you dress well because I like to dress like them Calypsonians. In a suit vibe, I, I, I like to wear my suit, mix it up with a little bit afro. So you know, that's my vibe. I love when you just keep it my vibe. I love what you just said. You uh, said that you're the first prop. Yeah, yeah. I just love like. Sorry, I'm just I'm also in like a contemporary music world where we often think of staging and a lot, you know, and and how things are looked, but we often forget about how we look. <laughs> You know, like we don't, we, we like put all the drums and everything in a specific spot on stage and it's like, wow, look at all that stuff. And then I put like a flannel on, you know, and like, I don't, I don't think about what I look like on top, uh, past that, but that's, I love that quote. Um, well, I have stolen about 45 minutes of your life and I'm very, very, yeah, very, very grateful for I it. I want to find out so much more about you though, because I find you so interesting. As I told you before, you are totally interesting. Here you are. You know what I'm saying? A Caucasian male, let's be real. And from Ohio, and you you push it through that culture everywhere. You just push it over culture. And so how, how was it for you to, to work with Boogs? You know, like you working with Boogs, well, my I, godfather, because that's my godfather. I met Bugsy in 2001 first in Ohio, mm-hmm. actually. Um, I was a student at the University of Akron and uh, right. Cliff do you know Cliff Alexis? That name sounds familiar, but he's a contemporary of here. he's a contemporary of Ellie Manette. Uh, he's he's younger, about about ten years Ellie younger than, than Ellie. But Cl- Ellie went to mm-hmm. uh, University of West Virginia and started the, the steel band program right. in Morgantown. Cliff went to Northern Illinois University and mm-hmm. started a steel band program there. He the very first set of steel drums he built in the late fifties, I believe, in the U.S. Mm-hmm. in St. Paul, Minnesota. He sold to my high school drum teacher Joan Wenzel in Dover, Ohio. Which is, wow. that's the very first set of instruments I played with, uh, was a set of drums that Cliff 
um, built and tuned. Cliff also built all the drums at the University of Akron, which was about a 30-piece band. And so as a student, I just graduated from high school and I went right into University of Akron and started playing on these drums and it was normal to me. And then I'm, and, and then Cliff would come every year to tune. And so I was just like, my teacher was like, Hey, can you uh, babysit is the wrong word, but can you take care of Cliff, drive him to him from the hotel? Can you get him food? And so I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. And so I just sat in the pan yard with Cliff and he would yell at me and tell me things about tuning and stories about Trinidad and, um, you know, while he, I'm just sitting there just sort of like soaking it all up and I would go to McDonald's and get him a egg McMuffin and bring it back, you know? And then yeah, I yeah. said, I said, I'd love to go to Trinidad. And he, he looked at me and he's just like, no, <laughs> it was just <laughs> like, like, and then, so I just kept asking and kept asking. And, um, that yeah. same year, Bugsy was a guest artist. And right, yeah. so Bugsy came to the university of Akron and I sort of drove him and Cliff around, um, with my friend That's Jeff cool, and just got to yeah. talk and Bugsy said, Hey, you should come down to Trinidad. And mm-hmm. Cliff, Cliff turned to look at Bugsy. He was like, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, but eventually I, I did end up going down and phase was the yard I went to. And first, the first thing I want to tell you about Bugsy is he mm-hmm. introduced me to Almond St. Rose, um, who was the seconds captain at the time and a, and a guy named Cast- right. and a guy named Castro, um, Mm-hmm. And another guy named Earl Charles, all in the second section. And I never understood a word that Bugsy said. For, for like the first week, I had no idea what he was saying. And I'm just being honest, you know, like his slang is no, really, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really thick. I, I know. And yeah. so like I, I was just like, mm-hmm. I understood when he was yelling out C sharp and like when he would scream out letter names. <laughs> but like past that, I didn't understand. So I was just like, okay. Um, but But working with him, watching him work, watching his brain work. Um, what yeah. was watching him listen to a recording, like with a yeah. little Walkman and then turn around and just start orchestrating stuff. Huh. It blew wow. my mind. Um, you know, so, uh, yeah, it just tore my head open in a really great way. And the way he disseminated music, the way the band responded to him, the, the overall culture of that, of the yard, like the ecosystem yeah. of Phase's yard in, in 2002 anyway, there was, you, you know, Ross Tishaka mm. and there was a guy named Grover who was in charge of like picking up, cleaning up the yard and everybody respected yeah. Grover as much as they did Bugsy, you know, like yeah. there was a weird mm. camaraderie that again, that I recognized coming from a rural place, but that I didn't, yeah. I recognized, but I was like, it's just operating a little differently and I need to figure this out. Um, and there was like probably two weeks I was there for three and a half. I was in the first two weeks, very few people talked to me other than the folks who were teaching me the music. And then after two weeks, the gentleman, the guitar player behind me, I turned around, he tapped me on the shoulder and he, I turned around and he was wearing, um, army fatigues and the black beret. Mm-hmm. He was a member of the black, mm-hmm. black Panthers in Trinidad, I think in the sixties. And he just looked at me and he's like, you play really well. Where are you from? And from that point mm. on, Ola, it was like anything I needed. Mm. And I felt like I was part of a family all of a sudden. And it like every part of my DNA just like lit up where, yes, mm. I was white. Yes, I'm, I'm a foreigner and all of those things. Yeah. But now because I had, I had just taken the punches for two weeks, you know, like, yeah. I, I don't yeah. know if that's the right way to say it, but now I'm talking, I'm actually having a conversation with a black Panther I grew up in Ohio where I'm hearing about black Panthers in a completely different context. You know, like we should be terrified of, of, of this movement and this, these are, you know, aggressive, violent black people. And I'm talking to this guy who's just, just pleased as punch to talk to me. And, you know, and I feel like if I went to Mm -hmm. Trinidad and I saw that same gentleman, he'd give me a hug and give me a rum and Coke and some mango chow. And we just look, pick up where we left off. And so you asked me about my no, sorry to cut you. That I mean you did three panoramas then? I did phase two in 2002. Um, I then went back and I drilled Skiffle Bunch. Um, well, I drilled what? BSO in yeah. 2015 um, for, the, for the ICP. And then I drilled Skiffle Bunch for Good Morning. Um, yeah. And wow. um, Wrong Again. And there was one other one. Oh, uh, not so long. But anyway. And then I've drilled Kasim, uh Crossfire in, in Brooklyn. So like... That the yard yeah. for me is the safest place in the world I've ever been. Because yeah. that family, that family vibe is the same. It's safe. Like it's weird. It's a weird thing to ex- to express. It's like it's safe musically. Anything can yeah. happen. 
No one's going to mm-hmm. judge you as long as you're pulling your weight. It's safe emotionally where people might – you might be challenged, but you're, you're always going to be picked up at the end of the day. Yeah. You're safe physically. You know, I remember a vagrant came running in the yard and tried to grab my iPad yeah. or something. And about 25 people <laughs> chased that guy down the street, you know. And, <laughs> and like – family vibes. And mm. it's safe food-wise. Like you're just – like I don't know. Like in, am, am, I, am I saying anything that like – is, is something no, this is amazing. I find this is amazing to me, Free, because the way how you take the culture, because I listened to um, some of your podcasts before uh, mm-hmm. we talk, right? And I was like, this, this guy this guy from Ohio teaching this thing in Princeton, Steel Pan, not just steel, the culture of Trinidad and Domingo, because if they're talking Steel Pan, as I said, they're talking about the yard, they're talking about our family vibes, the food, locations. You are amazing to this culture of ours. So, I really wanted to know that out. I really wanted to know. And then it's, it's so great with music. Like, like you could teach me about music. I could jam on keyboards. Like, I jam on keyboards and shit. But I, I'm not a musician, as I say, but I'm a great Calypsonian. And uh, I research Calypsos, mm. you know? And sing so kind of entertain. I entertain a lot. I could entertain. But I could jam. But you know music, music, bro. Like, you know what I'm saying? You know, you numbering music and shit. I'm like, well, I, there's the thing I will say this, the thing that has my soft underbelly, like the moment I feel mm. the most weak in a pan yard is in yeah. the is like I have an iPad. I have, you know, Kendall Williams or whoever's arranging gives me the score. And so I'm looking at the score. Yeah. I can watch a panorama band play. I could watch phase two or skiffle bunch, run a panorama and mm. follow along in the score and be like this line. I'm not hearing this isn't coming, mm. you know, but <laughs> if you took my iPad away. Yeah, I feel way scared, way more scared because it's it's harder for me to get things by ear. That's where my weakness is because right. I grew up reading scores and like I could sight read a panorama. Right. If you put the double second part in front of me, mm. it gave me ten minutes. I could mm. play panorama, wow. but that but that's just a different skill. That's not really a useful skill set in Trinidad, you know. Like like that's not the way it works it there. But that's where that's been the ch- like for me. If I could spend two years just in Trinidad with no iPad, I feel like that would be some pretty heavy medicine for me to take, and would make me just a better musician overall. Because that's where my weakness is, you know. And that's not like that's not your weakness. You could sit down on a keyboard, hear a tune, and be like, you know, and you could pick it up way yeah. faster than I could. I just jam. I wouldn't even say pick it up. I just jam. Could jam, my, you know, could jam. But you, you. As a real musician, musician, I could sing Calypso and entertain and, and, and remember plenty Calypsos and remember plenty Calypsonian names and things because I love it. And that's my vibe. But you are a musician, musician. You get me? Well, I, and, and that's what I respect. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And, and Ola, I appreciate you asking the question of me, sort of my background a little bit. It means a lot to me. And um, I appreciate every, everything you're saying. I, I, the only reason I'm doing what I'm doing is because of the generosity I was shown by people like Cliff and Bugsy and mm-hmm. you know Earl Charles and Grover and, and Tishaka and wow. Earl and Allman. Like, they were people wow. who gave me their time and were not required mm-hmm. to. They didn't have wow. to. They could have very easily amazing. seen me as, a, as an uneducated white kid from Ohio that they didn't need to invest in. But they did. And it changed my mm. life. And so I feel like a deep ethical responsibility and uh, not even like it's ethically like I'm doing it because it's it's a real struggle. It's like, no, no, no. This is an easy ethical thing to pick up and run with. Like, <laughs> you know, because if at the end of the day, there's corn soup at the end of the road, like I will fight that war every day because <laughs> that's an easy war to fight. I will fight, you know. I'll, I guess corn soup is a shit. You like corn soup, right? Well, you know, I, like, I like all sorts of Trinidad. Like Paniard food. Right. Is Paniard food. That's right. That's right. Um, but yeah. Ola, I, I really hope that, um, well, I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting you in the fall or in the spring uh, at Princeton. But also, yeah. I, I really hope that we get to cross paths in Port of Spain. I would love for to just follow you around. You can take me to some of your old haunts and uh, clubs. And I'd love that's to go vibe. to a, a Calypso. Some of those. Yo, editing, right? Number the tents are not really happening as much again. Yeah. My idea, I mean, I'm going to let you know, I want to come up with that old tent and bring back that real vibe. So I'm going to have everything, obviously, with the soca, with your chutney, you know, which mm. is the in Hindi music of, yeah. of soca. And Calypso, the real Calypso, the real experience of extempo. 
Don't tell nobody, eh? Just don't tell nobody. <laughs> well, they're gonna hear it once. We're gonna have, we're gonna, eh? We're gonna have soap professions. Oh shit! <laughs> soap professions come all the way from Ohio, Princeton. Hey, let me tell you something. Are we gonna have the older ten now? We, if, if you oh, want, if you want so percussion to play your clips hotel, you can. We'll be. We'll happily oh, sign up. You can. You know where to. Will be crazy. I, I saw your resume. I saw it, man. <laughs> Well, it might be the most high-pressure gig that we have. You know, we're playing Carnegie Hall in December, but I think playing Eclipso Tent in Trinidad is is higher stakes. Is higher stakes. But, well, Ola, um, I'm very grateful for your time. I really hope that you stay safe and healthy. And um, please pass on my best to to Trinidad in general. Um, I miss it dearly. I'm hoping to come down in the wintertime, but, you know, there's a lot of stuff up in the air still. But I I hope to cross paths, stay healthy. And is there where can folks – is there a website or anywhere where folks can find out more about you? You, you can find Ola Tunji on um, Instagram for sure, Ola Tunji Music. And I'm so terrible. I uh, recently um, had my website up. Um, I don't want to give you the wrong information. Oh my God, I'm so terrible. But Ola Tunji Music uh-huh. is Instagram. And um, you will get all them details there. Okay, Ola Tunji sure. Music on Instagram. All right. Yeah. Ola Tunji, thank you so much. Um, stay healthy. Yeah. And I will look forward to crossing paths with you again soon. I really enjoyed this. Blessings, bro. Respect. All right, take it easy. Yeah, man. Bye. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. This podcast is brought to you by Liquid Drum. Liquiddrum.com down in Waco, Texas. Uh, my good friend Todd Meehan runs an amazing percussion company down there. Great merch, great content. Check him out. Liquiddrum.com. Also, Kyle Dunleavy, dunleavypans.com, D-U-N-L-E-A-V-Y pans.com. Kyle Dunleavy makes and builds all the steel drums that I perform and teach on uh, in so percussion as well as at NYU and Princeton. Uh, he's an amazing, amazing tuner builder, um, just a really nice guy, very dependable. Check him out. If you are interested at all in steel pan advocacy, uh, want to learn more about the goings-on uh, in Pan in Brooklyn, check out paninmotion.com. My good friend Kendall Williams, uh, Jerry Guy, Trisha Guy, and uh, Arisha John run an amazing organization called paninmotion.com. Check them out. And finally, Aleandre Mirage runs an amazing uh, clothing apparel company in Brooklyn that is steel pan-centric. You can check him out at mangochowclothing.com. I own a bunch of his shirts. They're amazing, very stylish, uh, beautiful, beautifully made. Check them out. MangoChowClothing.com. Okay, hope you're well. Talk to you soon.